Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for this worship, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that we are sons and daughters of God by faith, Lord. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you continue to move powerfully and greatly, Lord, as we yield ourselves to you, Lord, that as we surrender all, Lord, that your power would be manifested through us, Lord. Lord, speak to us now through your word as we finish the book of Esther, Lord, as we conclude this amazing book, Lord, of your sovereignty, your intervention, your protection, your victory, Lord. And Lord, we know that you always have victory. I pray for a mighty movement of your word and by your spirit, Lord, that you would speak and that we would yield, Lord. Lord, there's no one like you, Lord. None at all, Lord. Anoint this place, anoint my lips. Bring awakening, bring revival. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's open up our Bibles to Esther. Esther chapter 9, as we're going to conclude this chapter, or this book, I should say. And, and then we're going to move into Job. I'll tell you this, I'll share this with you next week. We won't be in Job, but we will the week after. But as we, uh, as we go through this book, as we've gone through this book, I know there's much that, that the Lord has revealed to us, there's much that the Lord has taught us, there's much that, that we've taken away from this book. And, and we're going to see today how the Lord brings victory to the Jews there in Persia. And I say to the Jews in Persia because... There were Jews that were back in Jerusalem, but these Jews decided to stay there in Persia. And for those of you that may not know, the Persian Empire was, was really a world empire at the time, and, and uh, many of the Jews were given the option to go back to Jerusalem. But these Jews said, no, I want to stay in Persia, and, and they stood there, and God had a purpose for them staying there. And so that's what we're going to be going over this this evening, the, the, the purpose of it all, the victory that's in the Lord. And, and throughout the book, in case you don't know, the, the name of God is never mentioned. It's not mentioned one time in the book. Isn't that amazing that it wouldn't be mentioned not once? And yet we see God's hands all over it. We see God's intervention. We see God moving in and through this, this book. And, and we know one thing, or we're going to find out that... Uh, that the enemy wanted to destroy the people of God and, and in return they're the ones that are going to be destroyed and, and again revealing God's victory, God's protection over his people. The title of today's message as you've been hearing me say victory time and time again, that's the title of today's message, victory. The victory that Jews have as well as Christians have as we experience in our relationship with the Lord. And whenever we go through the Bible, understand this, going through the Bible reveals the battles and the victories that the Lord wins. And these victories and these battles are there so that our faith can be built up. Remember that our faith is built up as we see the victories and the battles that the Lord, that the Lord gives. Uh, and the Lord has victory in these. And you know what, many times we've, 
You know, for those of you that have gone through the Bible, you see the victories that the Lord has given, the battles that He's given, and the victories that He's given to the Israelites. We start with the Egyptians, right? When they were there in, the, in Egypt, and the Lord delivered them from there. We see with the Philistines constantly in the book of Judges, battling with the Philistines. Also, as, as we saw, King Saul constantly battling with the Philistines. We see with the Canaanites, right, the victories that the Lord gave the Jews over the Canaanites, as we see with, with, uh, with Joshua, as he goes into the promised land, and, and you see the Amorites that were in there, the Ammonites, the Midianites, the Jebusites, those that were there in Jerusalem, and, and now we see with the Persians. Imagine the victory that God gave them. Amazing. And so, God has continued to give Israel victory, time and time again, Even though they've turned their backs on God, God has made a promise to His people and He continues to give them victories. And we see these victories even happening today. Since its establishment, and I'm talking about the establishment of Israel, Israel has been involved in eight wars and we've seen the victory that they've experienced in each of those wars. And for those of you that are very familiar with the Six-Day War, this was a a war between Israel and the Arab nations, including Egypt and, and these nations there. And God gave them an amazing victory, a victory that, that only points to the hand of God. We know when God told Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, in Genesis 12, 3, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. No nation that has come against Israel has experience much success. And the, the Jews continue to thrive. They continue to thrive even today as we see just God blessing and moving through them. How many of you are familiar with the election that just happened yesterday and the winner, Benjamin Netanyahu? He was elected once again as prime minister for the fifth term. And you know what's amazing about this is that President Trump has been stating that with the victory that Benjamin has experienced there in Israel as a prime minister, that the Middle East peace plan is imminent. Isn't that amazing? You know what that means to all, you know what that means to all of us? The prophecies that the Lord has given us. You know what? Imagine, you know what? These things that are going to happen, these things that the Lord has spoken about, and now we see them unfolding before us. The fact that Israel received that land when they went back, and, and we know that they had the, the establishment once again in Israel. We see there the beginning of just the prophecies that the Lord has. And we will see them unfold. These are exciting times for us. Every single one of us, remember this, you are living in an exciting time. We may see the Lord coming at any time. We may hear the voice of one archangel. We may hear that that trumpet blowing. and We may just hear the words of the Lord come. And imagine us being all caught up in the heavens. You know, these things, this can take place at any time. And I want to just speak on really just now the, the final chapters here in or the final chapter here in Esther as we lead into this. I want to just give you some insight. You know, there was a decree that was given to, to the Persians. 
It was in Esther chapter 3, verses 12 through 13, that on the 13th day of March, the decree went out to the Persian Empire to destroy Jews, both young and old, to destroy little children and women, and to plunder their possessions. Anything that they owned, they were to take. So, of course, it would ignite the Persians to annihilate the Jews and to kill them off, to take their property. And so, that was early on in the book. And last week, as we, we read Queen Esther, she intervened. And there was another decree that went out allowing the Jews to fight back because prior to this, they didn't have that right. And now we, they're given the right and they're encouraged to fight back and to fight back in case anybody wanted to kill them, their children or the women. And once that decree went out, the second decree I'm talking about, the decree that was from Mordecai as well as, as the queen, you know, we were told that the Jews began to rejoice. They were excited. They were thinking to themselves, you know what, we get to fight back. Imagine that. You know what, they don't have to be just there, you know what, just having everyone come against them and not doing anything about it. They, got, they have the right to fight back. In other words, that was a message from the king because the king could not revoke that decree. And so now hearing the new decree, they knew that the king was for them and they were able to fight back and we know that there was much rejoicing. But what was key in all of this is that we were told that many of the people feared the Jews. They feared the Jews. Imagine that. The fear that came upon the people when this decree went out. Many people will say, well, you know what? You have a Jewish queen and you have a what? The second in command, Mordecai, they're both Jews, and of course everyone's going to fear, right? But I want to share this with you, and I want to be clear on this. The reason they feared the Jews was not because of Queen Esther and Mordecai. Yes, that played into it, but it wasn't really all of that. You know what brought fear into them? It was God. That's who brought the fear. And remember that, it's always God. And it's no one else but God. And so with that, let's go ahead and read verse 1. Here in Esther chapter 9, it says, Now in the twelfth month, that is the month of Adar, on the thirteenth day, the time came for the king's command and his decree to be executed. And on the day that the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, the opposite occurred in that the Jews themselves overpowered those who hated them. So we're told here, the thirteenth day of March has arrived. And though many feared the Jews, right, they, they still had many enemies. They still had lots of enemies. And many, as we know, I mean, anybody that's a believer, anybody that belongs to God, anybody that, that is considered a child of God, you have, you have an enemy that wants to wipe you out. And no matter if there's fear amongst the people, this enemy is going to stir people up to destroy the people of God. And the enemy has one purpose, right? What's his purpose? To kill, to steal, and to what? destroy that's all he wants to do and remember that i don't want any of you to be ignorant especially for those of you that have placed your faith in jesus christ you are a target don't let your guard down don't think that you know what that that you know what that everything's going to be fine because i'm a child of god that was my initial understanding as i became a believer but quickly i realized that that's not the case that we are targets. And God allows the enemy to come in 
He won't allow the enemy to do anything that he hasn't allowed him to do, but he will allow the enemy to, to bring some havoc into our lives. And the, the purpose of all of this is to do what? Is to turn all things together for good so that we can see that God is in control and God has a purpose and a plan because without trials, are any of us going to grow? Are any of you ever going to mature in the Lord unless you're faced with trials? None of us are going to mature. Our faith grows as, as we're put through the fire and, and that faith is meant to glorify God and that's why he says as you go through the fire, may your faith glorify God like silver and gold as it passes through the fire. As it says here, the enemies of Israel hope to overpower the Jews. But we read the opposite, that the Jews overpowered those who hated them. Amazing. This is an amazing verse here when it comes to the things that were taking place at the moment. Imagine this. The enemy was overpowered by the Jews. Incredible odds against the people of God. But see, this is what we see all the time. Even though the odds are against us, remember this, that God is for us. And when God is for us, you will have what? You will have victory. This is why we're told in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, who is it, who, He who is in you is greater than he who is where? In the world. We are to take comfort in this. Take comfort in knowing that God lives in you and the power of God resides with you and the victory that God experiences, uh, I'm sorry, and the victory that God gives is the victories that we will experience. Remember the God that we serve. There's no one like Him. The God that we serve is able to shake the ground when He speaks. The God that we serve is able to move the mountains with a word. The God that we speak is able to calm the storms with a word. The God that we serve compares to no other. And just like the Jews, we belong to Him and we experience the victories just like they do. You know, one of my favorite verses, and I know this is a favorite of others too. Remember Jonathan, the son of King Saul, when he was about to battle the Philistines? What did he say in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 6? For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. Nothing restrains the Lord. Nothing holds back the Lord from giving victory. Whether there's just going to be one of you or there's going to be thousands or hundreds of you, it, nothing matters. It's God who gives the victory and it's God that's able to do this. Remember Jonathan and his armor bearer? They went into battle, right? And they, they, they just said, Lord, confirm that you want us to go in there, right? And the Lord confirmed it. And guess what? Both of them killed off the enemy, the Philistines, that were there at the garrison. An amazing victory. It said that they went into that field and they were just killing off the Philistines, just two of them. Nothing restrains the Lord by saving, from saving by many or few. God gives us the victory. But there's also a key ingredient when it comes to the victory. Let's read in verse 2. It says here in verse 2, The Jews gathered together in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm. And no one could withstand them because fear of them fell upon all people. 
You know, the ingredient that assists in victory is this. It's unity. As you see there in verse 2, it says the Jews gathered together. They were together. They were as one. See, a divided house is never going to stand. Remember that. If there is division and there is strife and you have one, one mindset on this side and another mindset on that side, they're never going to come together and have victory. It's with any team, right? If there's not a unity in that team, there's not going to be victory. But when there is unity in the team, guess what? There's a likelihood of victory. A united house is tough to bring down. Remember that. And so they were gathered together to lay hands on their enemies. And God does His part, right? They did their part of being united together as one. And God does His part. And He brought fear upon their enemies. And God can easily bring fear upon any of our enemies. And He has shown this over and over again as we go through the Scriptures. That's why we encourage you, read the Bible. You see time and time again, the, battle, the battles that the Lord gives, the, the victories that the Lord gives in battles, the victories that the Lord gives whenever the enemies are against God's people. You see how fear comes upon people. It's the Lord that brings this fear. And verse 3 goes on to say, And all the officials of the provinces, the, sa- the satraps, the governors, and all those doing the king's work, helped the Jews because the fear of Mordecai fell upon them. For Mordecai was great in the king's palace, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces. For this man, Mordecai, became increasingly prominent. They're talking about all the government, government officials. Remember, Mordecai was number two, and Mordecai had the ear of the king. And so all the administrators, all the governors, all the administrators there, of course, they're going to fear, right? Why would they fear? They're going to fear because Mordecai, he's a Jew. And so they helped the Jews. And when we think about this, right, think about how many Jews have risen to great power. When we look back at the Bible, right, to name some, you have Joseph. Remember, Joseph rose to power there in Egypt next to Pharaoh. You have Daniel, right? Daniel rose to power with Nebuchadnezzar and and Cyrus, the king of Persia, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. You have Nehemiah rising to power there with the king of Persia. And you have Mordecai, the same thing here. Influential. As God rises these men up, right, to fulfill His purpose. And God wants to raise us up too. You know, there's some of us that God has chosen to raise up. God has chosen some of you. You may not be, you know, an assistant to President Trump, but but maybe in the companies that you work for. Maybe where you're at, where you're you're working. God wants you to influence the managers, your bosses, the companies. You know, God has God has plans for many of us, and some of them have, some of us have been have been called for this very purpose. Let's keep reading on in verse five. It says, "Thus the Jews defeated all the enemies with the stroke of the sword, with slaughter and destruction, and did what they pleased with those who hated them." 
The Jews defeated their enemies. It says with the stroke of a sword. With slaughter and destruction. I want you to know, even though it says the Jews did it, because remember, the name of God is not mentioned anywhere in the, this book. But remember this, it's the Lord that gave them the victory. It's the Lord that did it. It's the Lord that moved through them. It's not the Jews that did it. It is God that did it. And we've got to remember that. And remember that when it comes to our own lives. It's God that has the victory. It's God that moves through us. It's God that gives us the victory. Isaiah 41 verse 10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be, dis- not be, do not, be not dismayed, for I am your Lord. Your God, I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Again, the reminder, right? I mean, don't be afraid. Don't fear. And yes, when the giants come, I mean, the immediate reaction many times is what? Is fear. And that's just a natural response that we as people have, right? When trials come, when illness comes, when ailments come, when a, when a tragedy hits us, I mean, the immediate response is fear, And we're in the company of many other kings that had the same thing. Of many other people and people of faith that experience the same thing. But remember, God has not given us a a spirit of fear, but of love and power and of sound mind. We shake that fear off. Remember, you hold captive all of these thoughts, these emotions that don't glorify God. And you replace them with what God has given us, those, those, the, the power that He's given us, the strength that He's given us, the joy and the peace, and no matter what goes on, God has a plan and a purpose, and God always turns all things together for good. The reminder that only God can do this, and He is our defender, and He is our deliverer. Let's keep reading on. Verse 6 says, And in Shushan... The citadel, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. Also, Parshan, Datha, Delphon, Apatha, Paratha, Adalia, Eridatha, Parmashta, Erisei, Eridai, and Vahezatha, the ten sons of Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews they killed, but they did not lay a hand on the plunder. We're told right now of how many enemies they killed. Remember, we're just talking about the capital city here. We're talking about Shushan here. We're talking about where the king had his palace. 500 enemies were killed. This is just here. Remember, this is just one city. It's only 500 people. And in those 500 people, remember Haman, the enemy of the Jews, the one that brought the decree to destroy the Jews? Well, guess what? All of his sons, of course, they're going to fight back and they, they want to get rid of the Jews. So 10 of their sons were killed. 10 of his sons were killed. But I also read something here of the heart of the Jews as it finishes off there in verse 10. But they did not lay a hand on the plunder. You know what? It wasn't about taking. It was about protecting you know, it just wanted, they just wanted to defend themselves. And as we keep reading on in verse 11, it goes on to say, On that day, the number of those who were killed in Sushan, the citadel, was brought to the king. 
And the king said to Queen Esther, The Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men in Shushan, the citadel, and the ten sons of Haman. What have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now what is your petition? It shall be granted to you. Or what is your further request? It shall be done. The king is talking to the queen. The report of the 500 that were killed came to King Xerxes. And then he brings Queen Esther, and, or, he, or he turns to Queen Esther if she was in the room, and, and he asks her, what else do you want? Why would he ask her what else she wants? For those of you that weren't with us, it was Queen Esther. It was Queen Esther who revealed Haman's evil plan to exterminate the Jews. And Queen Esther reveals she was a Jew and Mordecai, the man that saved the king, he was also a Jew. And so when she reveals that Haman, his right-hand man, wanted to wipe out his wife as well as this man that saved him, I mean, he didn't go down well with him. He didn't like that. He says, you know what, this ain't going to happen. And so the queen asked him to revoke the decree to kill the Jews off, to annihilate the Jews. But Persian law, remember, once a decree or a law was given, no one can take it back. And so a new decree had to go out. Something new had to go out, something to, to keep or something to help the Jews. And that's when the decree went out, right? The decree went out that they could defend themselves. And so now all of that has happened, right? This is the day. This is the day that this took place. And so now the king comes back and says, Okay, queen, what do you want us to do? What do you want, what do you want next? You ask and it shall be given to you. And so what were her requests? Verse 13 says, Then Esther said, If it pleases the king, let it be granted to the Jews who are in Shushan to do again tomorrow according to today's decree. And let Haman's ten sons be hanged on the gallows. So the king commanded this to be done. The decree was issued in Shushan and they hanged Haman's ten sons. So two requests. This is from Queen Esther. She's saying, allow the Jews to defend themselves one more day. Hang Haman and hang Haman's sons. And we're going we're gonna to see that her request was right on. Remember, this woman had fasted. People had fasted for her. This woman had sought the Lord and she was filled right now as we see, as we see with the way she acted, the confidence, the trust, the faith. As we've talked about her qualities. She was still led by the Spirit of the Lord. And she says, you know what? Give us another day because I know there's more enemies there. And then she requested something. She says, you know all the sons of Haman that were killed? The ten sons, let's hang them. They're already dead, but she wants them hung. And we think to ourselves, why would she want that? Think about that. Why would she want that, right? Why would she, you know, was she angry? Did she want revenge? Absolutely not. You know what she wanted? She wanted to make a statement. She wanted to make sure that the people knew that if anyone comes against God's people, this is exactly what's going to happen to you. And she had every right to do that. And so the king agreed. Verse 15 goes on to say, And the Jews who were in Shushan gathered together again on the 14th day of the month of Adar and killed 300 men at Shushan, but they did not lay a hand on the plunder. We see here, she was right. There were 300 more enemies, 300 more. That brings a total of 800 just in the city of Shushan. 
as we see there, they didn't pl plunder the goods of these that came against them. And so what about the remainder of the Persian Empire? How many more men were killed? Because there's more enemies, right? Let's read this in verse 16. It says, The remainder of the Jews in the king's provinces gathered together and protected their lives, had rest from their enemies, and they killed 75,000 of the enemies. But they did not lay a hand on the plunder. This was on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th of the month they rested and made it a day of fasting and gladness. We're told here that on the 13th day, remember, the ones that were in Shushan, they did it on the 13th and they did it on the 14th. Because Queen Esther asked for another day. But the rest of the nation, I mean the rest of the empire, they only did it on the 13th day and 75,000 enemies were killed off. This was the Lord's hand of taking out the enemies. See, the enemy will never have victory over God's children. And that's the peace that you can rest with. That he won't have victory over us, that he can't take us out. Because God won't allow that. Again, we see the result of the enemies of God. They were the ones taken out. And let's keep reading on. In verse 18 it says, But the Jews who were at Shushan assembled together on the 13th day, as well as on the 14th day, and on the 15th day of the month, they rested and made it a day of fasting and gladness. Why he tells us this is because he wants us to know that the Jews at Shushan they rested on the 15th. They, this was a day, you know what, that the enemies were out. So they rested and they fast, I mean, and they had a feast. And we know that the rest of the nation was doing it on the 14th. I mean, the rest of the Jews in the other cities and regions, they were doing it on the 14th. So then verse 19 says, Therefore the Jews of the villages who dwelt in the unwalled towns celebrated the 14th day of the month of Adar with gladness and feasting, as a holiday and for sending presents to one another. Verse 20, And Mordecai wrote these things and sent letters to all the Jews near and far who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to establish among them that they should celebrate yearly the 14th and 15th day of the month of Adar as the days on which the Jews had rest from their enemies as the month which was turned from sorrow to joy for them and from mourning to a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and joy, of sending presents to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews accepted the custom which they had begun, as Mordecai had written to them. Because Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to annihilate them, and had cast pur, that is, the lot, to consume them and destroy them. But when Esther came before the king, he commanded by letter that this wicked plot which Haman had devised against the Jews should return on his own head and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Just a repeating of what we've been talking about. So they called these days Purim after the name Pure, which, uh, which meant, I'm sorry, poor, which meant lot. Therefore, because of all the words of this letter, what they had seen concerning this matter and what had happened to them, the Jews established and imposed it upon themselves and their descendants and all who would join in that without fail they should celebrate these two days every year according to the written instructions and according to the prescribed time that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, every family, every province and every city that the days of Purim, Purim 
should not fail to be observed among the Jews and that the memory of them should not perish among their descendants. There is now a celebration that they want to happen. Remember, the annihilation of the nation was going to take place. And because the nation of the Jews were saved, Mordecai sends letters to all the Jews and says that a yearly celebration should be held by all Jews on the 14th and 15th day of March. These were the days that the Jews rested, right? On the 15th, there was a Jews there in Shusham and the rest of the Jews on the 14th day. And they will celebrate victory, right? This victory of, this celebration of victory would be from generation to generation. How were they to celebrate? They were supposed to have feasting. They were supposed to have presents to one another. And they were supposed to give gifts to the poor. The Feast of, of Purim was established. I want you to know that this feast today is still celebrated. Do they still do the same thing? Do they still have feasting? Do they still have presents? Do they still give to the poor? Yes, they do that, but they've added more. You know what they do on, this day, on these days? On both days, you know what they do? They go into the synagogues and they read the book of Esther in the morning and in the evening. And did you know that when the name of Haman is read, you know they all make loud noises and they have noisemakers so that no one hears the name of Haman? Can you believe? This is happening. This happens. Remember, in March it took place, right? And they do this, right? And, and not only do they do this, but, but they also have parties and, and they have celebrations. It's like a carnival-like atmosphere, they have parades. For those of you that have gone to Jerusalem, remember Tel Aviv? They have one of the biggest parades there in Tel Aviv. And you know what else they do? They wear costumes. They wear costumes. And you know why they, 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 they wear costumes? Because they said that Queen Esther... She had masked her Jewish identity. So they said, okay, you know what? It's a time to put on costumes. And they put costumes on to dress like the characters of Queen Esther, of Mordecai. Not only them, but other men and women of the Bible. It must be an amazing time. Has anybody been there during the days of Purim? Anyone here? Is it amazing? What I'm saying is accurate, right? Exactly. So if any of you go to Israel on the days of Purim, you can all wear your princess outfit. Imagine. Well, let's read. Let's keep reading. Verse 29 says, Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihail, with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm the second letter about Purim. And Mordecai sent letters to all the Jews to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus with words of peace and truth to confirm these days of Purim at their appointed time as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had prescribed for them and as they had decreed for themselves and their descendants concerning matters of their fasting and lamenting 
So the decree of Esther confirmed these matters of Purim, and it was written in the book. So Queen Esther, she sends a second letter confirming the feast, and it was sent to all the 127 provinces of the Persian Empire. Let's read verse 10, uh, chapter 10, and we're going to close here. It says, And King Ahasuerus imposed tribute on the land and on the island of the sea. Now all the acts of his power and his might and the account of the greatness of Mordecai to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second to King Ahasuerus and was great among the Jews and well received by multitude of his brethren, seeking the good of his people and speaking peace to all his countrymen. Why would the writers immediately start with an with, impo- with talking about the king's taxes that were imposed? I want to reveal this to you. In, in verse 2, it tells us that he acted with power. I truly believe that this was the Lord revealing to us the favor that he had now with Xerxes. He blessed them for protecting his people. He blessed them and now he had great power. He's revealing to us the the power of King Xerxes, the power that was granted to him by God himself because of his defense of his people. But not only are we told of the power of King Xerxes, but we are told of the greatness of Mordecai, both within and outside of the Jews. But we're given some insight as to why Mordecai was great. It tells us here. It tells us here in verse 3 that he worked for the good of others and he sought their well-being. I want to remind you of something. This is so key for us as Christians. I want you to understand that our lives are not about ourselves. See, Mordecai didn't live for himself as many people do these days. And what's so sad about this is that this is also in so-called Christians. It's, they, have, they could care less about anyone else. Their lives are so consumed with themselves. Their lives are so consumed about their needs and their wants and they could care less about helping anyone else. And that's not what we live for. I want you to know that you live for God. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you are to love your neighbor as you love yourself. As you love yourself. That's a hard thing to do, isn't it? But our lives are not about us anymore. Our lives are about God and, and what God has called us to do. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 20, verse 26. He says, whoever desires to be great, let him be your servant. If you want to be great, it's not about yourself anymore. You've got to live for others also. Have you helped anybody? Have you counseled and been there for somebody? 
Or are you in a bubble in your own little world? It's a time to examine our hearts. Where is your life? Who are you living for? I thought this was interesting. Because it tells us that Mordecai became great. Remember John the Baptist? Jesus said, there's no greater prophet than him. Why? He didn't live for himself, did he? Who did he live for? He lived to get the message out, didn't he? It wasn't about him. It was about God. It was about being out there. I mean, who wants to be in the desert? For those of us that have seen Israel, I mean, to be in that desert, preaching the gospel, man, it wasn't an easy life for him. But yet he did it. Because he was called to do it. I want to return to the theme of tonight's teaching. Remember this. The victory will always be the Lord's. As it says in Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Remember that. Isaiah 54 verse 17 says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. The victory is in you. God is in you. God has a victory. The book of Esther is about God's victory with his people. I want to remind you, and I'm going to give you some illustrations here. Meditate on these. Think about these. Whenever you see, as I mentioned, the battles in the Old Testament, God was always giving the victory to his people. Did you know when David slung that stone? It was God that directed that stone into the forehead of the giant. It was God that did it. Do you know King Jehoshaphat? When three nations, three mighty nations, Moab, Amen, and Mount Sir, these nations came against Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat was like, what do I do? All he could do is fall to his knees. And did you know that when he worshipped and praised the Lord, it was the Lord that took out the enemies. It was the Lord that gave victory. King Hezekiah, the same thing. When the Assyrians came, a mighty nation, powerful nation, they ended up taking out Israel. But when they came to Judah, the nation of Judah, you know what Hezekiah did? He dropped to his knees and he prayed. And it was when he dropped to his knees and prayed, you know what God did? God took out the Assyrian army. It's God that has the victory. It's God that does the victory. He's the one that fights our battles. He's the one that gives us victory. It's nothing that we do. It's He that does it through us. And He that works in and through us will take out our enemies. Don't ever forget that. And this is what we see here with Queen Esther. This is what we see here with the Jews with the nation of Israel. God is for Israel. 
God is for us as his people. Remember that. And if God is for us, no weapon formed against us shall what? Amen. Remember this. This is such an amazing principle. And this is why we take comfort. We can walk with confidence and in faith knowing that we will experience victory. The Lord that we serve is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. The victories that God gave the Jews are the same victories that He will give us. Remember that God loves us all the same, doesn't He? And you and I, you and I will walk in victory. There's a banner over us and that banner over us is Jesus. It is a victory banner that we can walk, where, that we display wherever we go. Don't ever forget. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you.